0: This is the third message in a Christmas series the series is entitled Believing in Christmas the major theme of many Christmas movies Christmas even culturally is often about faith will you believe in Christmas and the assumption is you are better off you're a better person if you believe in Christmas but In many of the movies and in much of our culture, the idea of believing, of having faith, is most of the time all too often a concept just left dangling without an object. In other words, as long as you believe, I don't care what you believe in, as long as you believe in something, you will be better off in the believing. And yet the actual Christmas story in the scriptures. The Christmas story that started all the Christmas stories is actually quite explicit and clear. The object of the faith is crucial. And so we're going to talk today about faith, because your faith, my faith, is really, it's the most important thing about you. Who or what you believe in. Believe in functionally. Put your trust in. Look to. What you believe to be true will control you. You and I live out of the things we believe to be true. And so my question is, what if the original Christmas story is actually true, that the object of what you believe is critical to faith being successful in your life what if it does matter what you believe in is it not possible that you and i could believe something that is not true of course we all have is it possible for us to put our faith in something that doesn't prove true that doesn't prove reliable i don't doubt we've all done that We've put our trust, we've put our hope in things that actually in time did not deliver in spite of maybe an initial, immediate sense of satisfaction or pleasure or comfort. And this is why the Christmas story is so very important. Christianity calls us to a specific belief. A specific belief is required to enter into God's kingdom, to become a part of, Of God's family but also faith is functional and crucial in living the Christian life so for some of you that have been walking with the Lord in the Christian faith for many years even many decades I don't want you to think that the message about faith is only about an event that took place in your life some years ago no today as well In fact, faith is is much like, you could say, a, a muscle of the soul that needs to be worked and exercised and utilized. And the more you utilize and activate that muscle of the soul, the stronger that faith becomes. And on the same side, just like our physical muscles, if you neglect it, if you let it sit idle, if you never work it, it grows weaker and weaker In time until it becomes even dysfunctional and unhelpful entirely. What is faith? What does faith look like? Uh, That's probably one of the most frequently asked questions in my own journey of being a Christian for 50 years, wrestling and struggling, trying to think through okay, what does it really mean to believe? What does it really mean to trust God? Am I doing it? Do I have what it takes? Is it just a feeling that I have inside? Is it something that just pops up into a person's soul and there it is and you have it or you don't? Do you have a little bit? Do you have a lot? If you don't have much, can you get more? All kinds of questions I have wrestled with over the years about this crucial issue of faith. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And sometimes an example of faith goes a long ways in helping us to learn and understand what does it look like? What does it mean to truly believe? What does faith look like in real-life situations? And for that, the Christmas story is equipped with an excellent example of faith. This example is seen in the shepherds. Today, we're going to look together at the faith of the shepherds. These shepherds give us a clear and vivid picture of what believing in christmas looks like so let's read a familiar text together luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8 we'll read 8 through 20 text should be on your screen or on the in the bible in front of you and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So this morning we're looking at the shepherds' faith, and we will see how they listened enough to hear, they heard enough to go and see, and they saw enough to worship. A progression of faith laid out by the faith of these shepherds. First point, they listened Enough to hear. Everything began with God sending a message, a messenger, an angel. An angel shows up in all kinds of glory and surprises these shepherds, supposedly at night. Faith always begins with hearing. Faith comes from hearing the words of Christ. That's where faith starts. It starts with God speaking. And we're called to a response of faith by hearing and believing the things that God has said. That's what Romans 10, 17 says. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, first and foremost, faith is responding with belief and trust to what God has said. We don't just have faith out of nothing. Faith is a human response to what God has said. Now, in the moment that the angel appeared, it says they were filled with great fear. Any of you that have been around the church for a while, you remember the old King James? Uh, Let's get rid of this, if that's distracting. Thanks for turning your phones off during the sermon. (laughs) They were filled with great fear. You remember the old King James? They were sore afraid, the phrase you remember. Uh, There's three words in the Greek trying to describe and and it's almost like luke is like okay how much vocabulary can we put in to make you convinced that these guys were extremely scared they were having an all-out panic attack if you took the three greek words and sort of transpose them you'd get you'd come up with something like this they were afraid with mega fear that's what was going on here They were so afraid. Let me say it again. I'm not sure you're understanding how afraid these guys were. They were afraid with mega fear. They were having a panic attack. They were presumably paralyzed at this moment. So in our little gift book, Christmas Uncut, there's a little story about a a Christmas pageant that kind of explains a little bit what was going on here. So From the moment when the couple in charge of that year's nativity decided that the children involved would improvise with their own words, big mistake by the way, if you're ever in charge of the nativity scene, there was always a serious chance things would go wrong. The performance began smoothly enough, the children were loving it, their parents and grandparents and aunts and neighbors were too, but then the angels appeared to the shepherds the tea towel head dress wearing young shepherds had been told that angels were not cuddly or cute that they were in fact scary and one of the shepherds had thought hard about how he would react if he saw a terrifying angel so as the blonde haired girl playing chief angel complete with white sheet and gold tinsel appeared on stage and opened her mouth to begin speaking he jumped up ah he shouted And run, he said. And with that, the shepherds disappeared off the stage, leaving several toy lambs and a deserted chief angel. She announced the birth of Jesus to an empty stage. (laughs) These guys were petrified. They were sore, afraid. How they felt at that moment surely was some of the strongest feelings they had ever experienced in their lives. They had never encountered anything like this if they even heard of such a thing but they didn't run they didn't shut down they didn't conclude that this was either the end or at the very least a situation to escape from how do you feel when you're sorely afraid when you're mega feared you want to get out of that situation and yet they stayed they listened Now, maybe they were paralyzed and couldn't move because they were so afraid. But that moment of being so afraid was a critical moment and a beginning of an act of faith. Sometimes we're so afraid to move ahead, afraid to approach. Here, actually, on this campus, interacting with Somebody, and we were talking, trying to get some logistics taken care of, and I invited this gentleman to church. He said a quick and immediate no. It was a refusal. I wondered if I even finished the sentence, if I was done with my sentence. He had an immediate and adamant, no, I'm not interested. No, I don't want to come. And the situation wasn't quite set to have a long conversation and and draw him out, but I did leave, and I I asked myself, "I, I wonder if he really knows what he's saying no to. I wonder if he actually has a concept. It's it's one thing to know the gospel and know know some truth about the gospel and say, I've decided not to believe it. I'm not interested. But I wonder, I wonder if he knew what he was saying no to. And these shepherds, their first response of faith was to stay, was to stay and listen. Listen. Why won't people stay long enough to listen? Why so quickly write it off? Why so quickly either respond in fear or an adamant, that's not for me, or that can't be true? Have you looked long enough? Have you listened long enough to know what you're saying no to? We know theologically that every one of us, every human being, really starts with a spiritual problem that's just residing in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Alvin Plantinga, this was quoted by Tim Keller in an article he wrote called Deconstructing Defeater Beliefs. Alvin Plantinga wisely asserts that people avoid Christianity not because they've really examined its teachings and found them wanting, but because their culture gives huge plausibility to believe a series of defeater beliefs that they know are true, and since they are true, Christianity cannot be true. In other words, there's a defeater belief that says, I really believe that, things like, well, there cannot be only one way to God. Therefore, Christianity cannot true all religions are man-made ideas i believe that to be true therefore christianity cannot be true there's hypocrites in the church christianity is against science the bible is just another book written by flawed people i'm a reasonable good person so i don't need religion to make me better how could i believe in the god that sends people to hell whole series of questions. Oh, we'll be addressing a lot of these questions in the bridge course coming up. Common questions that many people have that have formed what Keller and others have called a defeater belief. I believe this to be true. Therefore, when I invite them to church, their immediate response is, not for me. Don't need that. Don't want that. It's also, we know it's a little bit terrifying to be in God's presence. When God shows up, it's a frightening ordeal. And sometimes even for us, just, just coming into God's presence, there is, there is a sense, I don't know if, you know, if you've been in the presence of, of greatness, of holiness, or for us, sometimes it's just another person that's better than you can be intimidating. I remember when I was in middle school, I started learning to play the drums. And I want you to know I was quite good at it. I was first chair drummer in the eighth grade, first chair. Yeah, I don't think you quite understand how good I was. That means nobody in the school was better than me at playing the drums. I was the best in my middle school in eighth grade. And so when I won all the awards, which there were many, by the way, and I went off to the state competition. I strode into the competition rooms because I was the best drummer in my middle school and I started walking the halls and listening in to some other drummers and I sat and I listened and I felt myself getting smaller and smaller and smaller the more I heard. And I peered into a room and I was listening to some guy do his performance and I thought, I don't even know what he's doing. I can't even fathom what he's doing. This is amazing. And I was cut down to size. And that feeling that I felt, maybe you felt that in a different situation in your life, is just a small example of when we encounter a holy God. In the Bible, if you read through the Bible, whether it's Job or Isaiah or Peter at the miraculous catch of the fish, it seems like when divinity really gets exposed, people tend to fall down on their faces and put their face to the ground and cry out in despair. Approaching divinity is a scary thing. Having angels show up at night and the glory of God shown all around is an intimidating and a scary thing. But these shepherds, they were examples of faith. They didn't run. They didn't hide. They listened long enough to hear. This is what I want to sort of impart into your thinking faith stays long enough, faith keeps going in the right direction. Faith doesn't turn away from God. It turns in spite of how scary, nervous, troublesome, confusing, filled with doubts it might be. Faith always moves towards the Lord, not away or to the side. They listened long enough to hear. Point number two, they heard enough to go and see. They heard a message of good news Of great joy. So, in the midst of a most terrifying moment of their lives, they heard words of actual comfort. Good news of great joy. In other words, what you thought and felt was your greatest fear is somehow actually your greatest joy. What you were expecting to hear was bad news, scary news, terrifying news, but when you listened, it was good news of great joy. Listen long enough to hear. You're going to want to hear this. Don't run away too quickly. Don't say no too quickly. Are you sure you want to say no? Do you know what you're saying no to? Listen long enough. Hear what's being said. Oh, this is for your good. This is news, good news of great joy. That that term good news, we use it often. It's where we get the word gospel from or evangelical or evangelism. It was used typically in the Greek culture at that time. It was the announcement of a battle that was won. So the army is off and fights the battle, and the messenger comes back with good news. We've defeated the enemy. The battle is won. On May 8, 1945, known as V-Day, victory in Europe from the Second World War, when Germany surrendered to the Allies, making an end to the war in Europe. Having suffered so much for so long, and after the loss of so many lives, this was a day of great celebration. In the UK, Winston Churchill appeared on the balcony of the palace and addressed a crowd of people celebrating, and he said, God bless you all, this is your victory. In our long history, we have never seen a greater day than this. Now, to live through the Second World War in Europe at the time, and just endure all the suffering and the hardship and the difficulty, Well, we can easily imagine how news of this war coming to an end would be received as the best news imaginable. But in fact, Churchill was wrong. We have seen a greater day than that. It was the first Christmas day. It was the same kind of report It was the same announcement of good news. And this was not just a world war as significant as that was. This was the cosmic war. This was the declaration that the Savior had arrived, who's going to be the victor in the all-out cosmic war, dealing with the source of all the trouble, all the misery, all people have throughout all the earth the shepherds heard a message of victory because the message was that the victor had now arrived. It's all about the baby, Christmas story, the good news at that moment, the announcement it was all about that baby. And this is what is so important about the message and about what we're talking about, the object of our faith. It's knowing who this child is. And the angel tells us, Three things, using the highest terms possible to describe this particular baby. He is a savior. This is describing the baby's role. The role for all people. He's the deliverer. He's the rescuer. He's the one who comes to set his people free. If you're in trouble, if you're enslaved, if you're unable to free yourself... This is the Savior, the one who has shown up now and come to do it, to rescue you, save you, set you free. The Savior, the rescuer, who is Christ. We've got Savior. Now we have Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So the Greek word for Messiah, the one God anointed and chose to save. Throughout the whole Old Testament, God's spirit would come upon certain individuals for certain purposes of God. The spirit of God would come upon and anoint someone to speak for God, to act for God. So Moses was anointed to deliver the people out of Egypt. David was anointed to reign over Israel. Isaiah was anointed to speak God's word to God's people. And when Jesus came, we find this out later when his ministry begins and he walks into the temple, he opens up the scroll, and what does he say concerning himself? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was the anointed one, ultimate, capital T, the, of all the anointed ones. He was the one that God had chose to come and save. The angels, and Luke writing this, uses a third term, the Lord, referring to his office. The term Lord was used often for many people. Sarah called her husband Lord. You could call your boss Lord or your landlord Lord. But here, stacked up with all these terms about Jesus, the angel is saying you need to understand he's the Lord of all, the highest of lords. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae about the lordship of Christ. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of everything. He's the Lord over everything. The angel is making it absolutely clear to these shepherds that they have every reason to go and see this child. He could not have found, higher, more extravagant titles, names to give to this baby born that day. Why should someone go and look to Jesus? Why should you? Why should that coworker and that friend and that neighbor that is not a Christian, why should they be convinced, compelled, invited to go and look more closely at who Jesus is? It's because he's the Lord. It's because the spirit of the Lord is upon him. It's because he's the rescuer. He's the savior. He's the one all these things are wrapped up in this one person. He's the one to look to because God has positioned him and sent him with all this authority, with this grand role and this function and this purpose to set you and me free. So the shepherds, they decided to go and see. They heard enough. They listened long enough to decide I'm going to go further. Let's go and see. Do you see again how faith is functioning? You stay in it long enough to keep learning, to keep listening. When you hear more and you begin to understand what you're hearing, you press in more. You say, I want to go and see. I need more of this. I want to find out more. I want to go and see. And so the angels tell these shepherds here's a sign, here's a situation a sign. When you see this, if you choose to go and see and you see this, this will affirm and confirm everything that I'm saying about this child. You will know that what I've told you is true about this child if you go and see the sign. And the sign is what? A baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. In other words, here's what's happening. You can verify what I'm saying. That he's the Savior the Christ and the Lord if you see the sign a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger now certainly is unusual circumstances to be born in but not so strange in other words you know the point of the story is not that he was born in a manger if an angel appeared on Skid Row in LA and said now I want you to know that a child was just born To a woman under an overpass about by Fourth Street and the 110, and there's a little baby in a cardboard box under the overpass there. You can go and see this baby. I said, "Well, okay, those are not great circumstances, but okay. But do you understand what's happening with the with the actual sign here? It's not about the circumstances so much that the baby is born. It's that that those particular circumstances prove that this is a sign that prove who Jesus is." Because if the angels announced on Skid Row to a a group of folks there and said, yes, and this baby that you're going to find in a cardboard box is going to grow up and going to be president of the United States and is going to go down in history as the greatest president ever. So go and see this child. So the idea is you go and you see the sign in order to verify the words that God has spoken to them. And so they go and they see. The shepherd's faith took the next step. We might think of faith as some kind of a feeling. And when we don't feel that feeling, we think, I don't have faith. So therefore, I shouldn't go and look. Therefore, I should look somewhere else. Maybe I should listen to someone else. Maybe I should look on TikTok and try and find some answers to the meaning of life because I don't feel a sense of faith here. But you see what's happening with the shepherds. They keep moving towards the Lord. At one point, a low point of discouragement for the disciples with Jesus, when so many people were forsaking Jesus, walking away, and Jesus looked at them and said, well, okay, do you want to walk away as well? You remember Simon Peter answered him, well, but Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of Christ. Yes, Jesus, I feel like leaving because the thing you just said about eating your body is really weird and really confusing, and we're not sure what to make of it, and we're filled with doubts, and we're filled with confusion. But when you talk about leaving you, that's different. Where else are we going to go? Who else? Who else are we gonna listen to? Maybe we need to stick around and press in even more so that we do understand that strange saying that you just said. Faith stays in, stays the course. Whatever the trouble, whatever the fear, whatever the doubt, whatever the confusion, faith is functioning in the heart, drawing nearer and nearer to God. We all have times when we struggle with trusting God. If you've been a Christian for more than a week, you've struggled with ways of trusting God. And if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you have a long, long list of ways that you struggle with trusting God. These are times to exercise faith, to listen a little longer, to go in a little further, to look and see a little more. But always towards the one, always making sure the object of your faith is fixed on a baby wrapped in cloths in a manger. They saw enough to praise, point number three. They heard enough to go and see. They went. They saw enough to praise. They saw the sign. They saw this baby wrapped in rags, lying in the manger. And faith recognized the sign. It was exactly like the angel had said. Regardless of how unique seeing a child in a feeding trough might have been, the fact is, the point is, that that's what the angel said they would see. And that if they saw it, it would be proof positive of the rest of what the angel said. And so they saw the sign. Faith in their hearts recognized the sign. When God says something and he says, you will know that what I said is true by seeing the sign that I give you. The sign that you see is proof that what I'm saying to you is true. So when Isaiah spoke about a suffering servant and John the Baptist called out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus tells his disciples, This is my blood in the new covenant, and then lay down his life on the cross, then we look to that cross and his death on it and to his resurrection, and we see the sign. And faith recognizes the sign. Jesus was not the only one to die on a cross at that time, they were crucifying hundreds of people. He was one of many. He was one of three at the moment that he was crucified. So what is significant about him? Well, he's the sign. Him on the cross is a sign of what God has said. So now what God has said that this sign would affirm is that his death on the cross was an atoning sacrifice for your sins and mine. The death meant so much more. You'll find an empty tomb, a stone rolled away. It will be a sign that he's alive. He showed himself to over 500 people. It's a sign. It's proof of who he was. It affirms that the promises of God are true. It affirms that there's new life for you and for me. Their faith, the faith of the shepherds continues. They made it known to others. The ones who received the message became the messengers. And if you're a Christian here, you know this is what faith looks like. You have to tell somebody else. It's inside you. You see it. You you see the sign. You believe the sign. Faith leads you into it, and your heart is full. How could you not tell the person next to you? How could you come into this truth and not share it? How good does the news have to be? to compel you to tell somebody else about it. And then, of course, the phrase, they returned glorifying and praising God. They had found their greatest joy. They had entered into a new life that was no longer about themselves, but about the one who came to save them. And they were changed. Restoration work of bringing them back to God and to the design that God has for us all to live for the praise of his glory had begun in their hearts because they believed what the angel had told them. Because when they were afraid, they didn't run, but they stayed and they listened. And they listened enough to compel them to go and see. And when they went and they saw, their hearts were changed. And they turned into worshipers and belonged to the Lord at that point. So faith has run its course. They heard, they saw, they praised simple, clear, but it's how it works in your heart and in mine. We see the outcome of genuine faith. Worship team. You can come on up. I'm near the end. It doesn't mean that once you believe, once faith is active and present and runs its course, that you have an altogether put together life without troubles, never knowing a setback or trial or experiencing sorrow, but you have a life that is heard and has seen and now worships. I have an old book on my shelf. It's been on my shelf for over 20 years. When I preached through the book of Luke, over 20 years ago, back then, there really wasn't Amazon. You went down to Archives Bookstore, and I bought a stack of commentaries. And so there's a little book of commentary on Luke. And sadly, I've never used it. I've never gotten a word out of it, never got a quote out of it, never nothing. I looked at it many times. And usually it's kind of sad for me, because if I use my book allowance for a book, I like to get a little something out of it. It should show up in a sermon somewhere. And this one never did. But I pulled it off the shelf this week. And I got it, I got it. I found it, I got a sentence. It made the purchase worth the purchase. W.H. Griffith Thomas, the shepherds, model hearers, eager listeners, instant seekers, ardent believers, reverent worshipers, earnest preachers. There it is, there it is. We got it, got my $10 back. He nailed it. The shepherds, simple as they are, low on the economic, socioeconomic scale, these guys got it right. They show us a clear, vivid, colorful picture of what faith looks like. They believed in Christmas. So could you, would you believe in Christmas? Do you, do you believe in Christmas? To believe in Christmas enough to listen? Would you listen enough to hear? Would you hear enough to see? Would you see enough to rejoice? Would faith run its course in your heart and cause your response regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the doubt, regardless of the trial, regardless of the success and prosperity that you might be experiencing? Could faith still have its way drawing you towards the Lord? This is what our response is. Ought to be at Christmas and always. Can I ask you a personal question? Is there something going on in your soul now that's causing you to pull back, to look elsewhere, to go to this side or to that? Is there something discouraging, something troubling, or even? Some form of prosperity and blessing that's causing your soul to be distracted. Where where faith stops running its course, leading you closer and closer to the Savior. But actually deterring you and pulling you somewhere else. This is how I want to encourage you today. Stop. Turn. Believe in Christmas honestly everything you and i need was lying in that manger god has invested everything of his grace everything of his plan everything of his rescue into that person and so can i encourage you are your eyes fixed are you looking in the right direction and will you keep looking because i know what you will find and if not today tomorrow you will go home rejoicing, and glorifying God, which is God's aim for your life and mine. Let's stand together.